Welcome to the Wait and Speak podcast. I'm your host, Bequir Wait. Today's topic is big data. The promised discussion on behavioral economics had to stand over for a bit later. I spoke to Prof. Karel van Aert, Research Director at the Bureau of Market Research at the University of South Africa. His research focuses on international and South African economic dynamics and the impact of such dynamics on household wealth in South Africa. He studied at the business schools of the University of Pretoria and the University of Stellenbosch, and he obtained two doctorates, namely a doctorate in industrial sociology and a doctorate in business administration. After completion of his doctorates, he completed postdoctoral research projects at the University of Michigan in the United States and the International Institute of Applied Systems Analysis in Austria, specializing in economic, mathematical, demographic and econometric modeling. He has completed several uh, large-scale research projects funded by local and international institutions. He has published many articles in national and international journals and presented papers at national and international conferences and has also uh, authored several books. As a bit of a backstory, I first contacted Carl in 2007 when I was doing my master's in economics. I came across an article he co-authored on the economic impact of the World Summit on Sustainable Development. We started corresponding and we have been in contact ever since. It's great to now have Carl as a guest on this podcast. Carl, welcome on the Wait and Speak podcast. It's great to have you with me here today. We're virtually uh, via Zencaster. Um, we'll be talking about uh, big data, so really welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. So, Carl, so when I've spoken initially around uh, big data, and just for the listeners for context, um, we're recording here in South Africa, and we're currently on the fir- in the first day of the corona lockdown. Um, and there are some touch points with, with big data and the work that you're doing. So we'll get to that in the in the discussion, which is quite interesting. Um, just to start off with, could you give us a sense of what, what is big data? You hear about big data um, often. Um, what's the difference between big data and other types of data out there? Well, I think there are quite a lot of types of data. As you know, that um, there, is, there is survey data. And, and, and survey data is typically small data in the sense that you've got a single data set that you can analyze using a wide variety of statistical tests. But that's typically a data set that you can have on your computer and it's typically measured in measure, in um, megabytes. If you mm-hmm. take, for example, a typical administrative data set, an administrative data set could, for example, be all the people um, with uh, credit, with um, the details regarding their credit status, etc., as um, is being held by the um, National Credit Regulator, as well as a lot of the credit bureaus. That's typically small data in the sense that it's hosted on a single computer and um, is also a defined database with defined fields, defined variables, also typically measured in um, megabytes. And there might be one or two massive ones that's measured in gigabytes. So that's typically a small data set that is usually hosted on a single computer and it's typically in one big data file. Um, Mm -hmm. Data is something completely different in the sense that firstly, big data is not hosted on a single um, computer. It's actually hosted on literally millions of computers worldwide and um, all that data goes into a data lake. And nobody will be able to tell you exactly 
um, how many variables there is in this um, massive data set. And also is that um, um, this is being measured in um, gigabytes and in a lot of gigabytes, massive data out there. Um, usually where small data is based on interviews that's conducted or information directly obtained from clients. Um, mm -hmm. data is not directly obtained from clients in the sense that it actually tracks the online activities of people. That includes, for example, uh, whether they're reading news, whether, uh, for example, they are buying things online, um, what's happening in their social media like Twitter and Facebook, etc., um, their dealings on WhatsApp. And um, all of that goes into this massive data lake that lies on literally millions of computers and uh, more and more that data can be accessed by um, analysts and this is referred to as big data and a lot of people ask what comes after big data and the answer probably is humongous data and I think we're already on <laughs> data. Uh -huh. no, so, so, so the, the onset of the internet and wearable devices and our smartphones, um, I assume, play a big part. As you've mentioned, um, the data is not on a single computer and um, the internet plays a big part in, in, in kind of creating a source, source of, of big data. Correct, because um, it actually goes um, looking at the activities that people have on their computers which is then captured on a lot of central computers, like, for example, Google Trends. That's, that's mm -hmm. a fascinating example of big data, where Google continuously um, track from um, people what they are looking at, what they are doing on the Internet from literally billions of computers worldwide, and they actually then download that on a single database for um, use also by analysts. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, so, Carl, maybe moving on from that or linked to that, what are some of the opportunities and challenges associated with big data? I think one of the biggest opportunities with big data is, is that you can get a, a, a truer sense of um, what people actually do, what they think and what they feel. I just want to give you an example of that, a very well-known research example. When you looked at the poll results of um, the 2016 um, United States presidential election. Um, it was mm -hmm. clear from the poll results that um, Mrs. Clinton would have won. And um, it was also clear that she would have won by a little margin. However, when you look at the big data results, um, it appears that Mr. Trump would have won and that he would have won by a certain margin. And the reason for that is, is that um, in the poll results, it was very clear that um, some of your southern states, especially like um, Mississippi and Alabama, etc., were much more conservative and much more racist than, for example, the, the um, states on the eastern and the western seaboard of the United States. Mm. However, um, when you look at big data, no significant differences were found between the southern states and the eastern seaboard and the um, western seaboard with respect to their views on Mr. Trump, on racism, on um, conservatism, um, etc. And there was actually a fascinating book um, that came out a few years ago actually looking at 
but why do people lie? And uh, what became clear from the book is, is that people are not really lying. They're just not expressing the full truth or um, uh, on, um, for example, um, survey platforms, etc., when they're being asked. And that's also being influenced by the fact that it's a social situation where they might be judged by um, mm. interviewers. Um, one of the other fascinating um, research pieces of research was one with which Durex um, had a look at the sexual behavior of males and females. And they asked in the survey to what extent, for example, um, males and females are using condoms and or asking their partners to use condoms. What came out from this is firstly that um, females were much more inclined to ask their partners to use condoms and that there was also a much higher use of um, the partners of females to use condoms than the partners of males, etc., which is actually a very interesting situation. And then somebody mm. actually, based on what they indicated, made a calculation of how many condoms would have been used giving the prevalence rates, etc., and they found that it, it would have been about six times higher than was really sold, etc. And but mm. they compared that with big data, it was spot on. It, it, it was a, a very clear indication of the actual behavior um, of people. So um, that's one of the biggest advantages that you pick up the actual views, the actual behavior um, of people. Another big advantage is, is that uh, with surveys, is, is that if you complete a survey today, you might have results, if it's fairly quick, within six weeks to two months, because there's first data cleaning, data diagnostics, a lot of statistical analyses of the data, report writing, presentation writing, and all those types of things, etc. With uh, big data, you could actually see the results now of what happened wow. this morning, etc. I've checked, for example, yesterday, um, I, I, I tracked what um, South Africans are really interested in, and coronavirus, of course, won. Um, and then a second thing that came out was the lockdown, that more and more people were asking um, questions about. Um, quite a lot of, of, of our... Um, um, country people um, were still just as high in their interest in sex and porn, came out very high, and it might be because people are beginning to sit at home and have time on their hands to have a look at this. Food is becoming um, stronger, online shopping is becoming stronger, etc. Why I'm telling you this is, is that this is information that you could really use today. If, for example, this information was published within two months from now, when after the lockdown, etc., it's done. It's it's not so usable anymore. Please. The challenges. There's a, a long variety of challenges. Firstly, ethics, in the sense, for Please. example, that um, it might be very intrusive because the data is anonymized within the big data platform. However, it is that when you go to Pater Noster and you, um, for example, have a look at um, people in Pater Noster, um, for example, um, being interested in um, political activities, and especially of far-right or far-left political activities, etc., 
um, you can identify plus minus who it is because you can narrow it, it down. Um, and so this is the, one of the biggest advantages. And there's a lot of questions with the Poppyr Act um, also now. Um, what are the implications of uh, that? The other thing is just that um, it's not so easily accessible as survey data in the sense that you need a fairly sophisticated um, platform and, and there's a lot of software and platforms that you can actually have a link to this massive data lake out there or to create your own data lake to eventually mm -hmm. draw your own data in cubes um, but you need uh, a fairly good uh, um, idea of uh, programming of how computers and systems work etc so um that's less accessible, that data, than, for example, survey data to researchers. And, and Carl, I, I assume computing power is also a big, big, big uh, factor. Yes, because um, you, you would, under all conditions, for example, um, um, have uh, quite a lot of your data providers, um, and a lot of your data providers are in con continuous competition with each, each other. Um, and what we're seeing at the moment is, is that, uh, is, however, that big data and access to big data is becoming much easier and much cheaper um, than it was in, in the past. So um, where that was a big challenge in the past, especially costs, that's coming down um, dramatically. And um, I think what is also fascinating here is, is that um, quite a lot of the big data providers, like, for example, Microsoft with its Microsoft Azure a platform that we also use, um, they're more and more providing free online training in Azure as well as Power BI um, to people that want to use this, etc. And also the cost associated with Azure and Power BI is also coming down dramatically. Carl, um, you're involved with the Bureau for Market Research at uh, UNISA, and um, you've mentioned the interesting work that you're doing there, uh, specifically around setting up a big data platform um, as part of establishing a market intelligence research unit at the BMR. Uh, could you tell us a bit more about this and the BMR Big Data da Database? Um, yes, uh, thanks so much for the opportunity. Um, why we actually set it up is, is that we found that a lot of our clients um, require more recent and actionable information because um, um, what is happening in the world is, is that everything is speeding up in the sense that um, where in the past I could produce a product or a service and I could have a lifespan of that product and service for years and years and years with a lot of loyal clients, etc. Um, we're living in an age of disruption. And uh, which means that there are continuously new products, new services on the market, and they are comp uh, completely uh, changing uh, consumer tastes also on, on a continuous basis. And therefore, you need more information that are very recent and actionable now. And so this is why we mm -hmm. um, set up this facility to actually provide that information directly to clients. Another reason for that is, is that um, clients are also increasingly wary of paying for massive surveys because big surveys are just very, very expensive. And uh, mm. it takes a long time to actually get the data. So um, quite a lot of the clients, for example, would rather 
um, have actionable in information now at a, a lower cost. So um, this is also why we're producing this. Another advantage of the um, big data for a lot of our clients is, is that in a traditionally um, large-scale survey, you might get possibly 200 to 300 variables in, in, in that database. And, and, and then it's a really, really big survey because remember, people are getting fed up at um, actually answering questions for, for about an hour plus. While mm. in um, big data, the number of variables that you can bring into relation to each other are endless. And, um, uh, and you could also draw it from a, a wide variety of sources. For example, in a, in a typical uh, big data platform that we've got, we've got national accounts figures. We've got figures on employment and we've got figures from uh, credit bureau data. Um, we've got uh, um, figures um, from um, the Reserve Bank with respect to um, the different banks that people are at, the different products that they've got, the values of the holdings that they've got, etc. So um, it's, it's incredibly multidisciplinary in, in terms of the variables that it can take. And um, what this also allows you is, is that there's quite a lot of um, um, very highly powered econometric methods, especially something called vector autoregression that looks mm -hmm. at contemporaneous feedback loops, how these various variables feed into one another. And let's say, for example, that um, you download um, a, a big data set in, in a so-called cube. This might be data from 2000 to yesterday per day for that whole period um, broken down in all of this. And you could really understand, for example, there that if I send out a marketing message today, what happened tomorrow with respect to, to the, the take up of that message? And for example, at the moment, we, we are tracking the Corona message and whether that's actually going home, etc. And we're finding some fascinating stuff in that regard. Wow, so it's really um, granular level detail that you can get out of this and also this live update element to it. Correct, yes. Very interesting. Uh, Carl, then linked to this other hot topics you often hear about is data science and AI and machine learning. Um, do these, these um, technologies link into big data um, and what are some of the key tools and approaches for using big data? Um, they actually link in very, very nicely because remember is just that when you look at um, various data sources, some data are the data that's by minute, some of that is by day, some of that is by week, some of that is by month, some of that is by quarter, some of that is by year, etc. So, um, and you've got all these various data sets with uh, different time periods built in. Uh, however, you want that data to be um, at exactly the same time period. And um, so uh, a typical one could be that um, you take, for example, unemployment data and you've only got it on a quarterly basis while your um, other variables is uh, are on a daily basis. So what should happen now is just that there should be a process where that um, empty spaces from um, um, the, let's say, the end of February, that was um, the end of um, one set of data and the end of May in, in another one, that all those data points 
should be completed. This is where imputation comes in. And imputation is a form of artificial intelligence that actually um, have a look at um, various data in a data set. And it basically teach itself quite a lot of, of basic patterns in, in the data. And then it completes those data um, points, for example, there in order to create a full um, data set. Um, so this is where um, artificial intelligence comes in to analyze patterns. Um, AI is also fantastic in also um, instead of um, you basically forming hypotheses as you do in survey research, that um, the, you actually ask the data set to tell you what is the underlying story in the data set. So there's yeah. something called neural networks. And what a neural network basically is, is that on a big data platform, it actually um, go and search for underlying patterns in that data. And what you often find is, is that it actually points towards relationships between variables that you never thought of looking for relationships between. And I've sometimes seen that there are massively strong relationships between those various variables. Um, like for just an example of that is, is that at one stage, we um, looked, for example, at um, um, the whole thing of financial inclusion asking, but what is driving financial inclusion? Might that be that um, the economy is performing, that people have got more money, that um, people um, have got a greater propensity to save and invest? What is driving that? And some of those variables came in as big drivers, but the one that we didn't expect at all was happiness. And we found, for example, happiness is a very strong predictor of... Um, of financial inclusion. So um, one of the big advantages is, is that your big data platform um, is both quantitative and qualitative data. You can actually see what are the underlying terms um, of happiness and, and bank product take up in, in, in this platform and how they are um, actually re related. And what we then found, for example, in, in this regard is, is that um, in quite a lot of countries, and there's a big debate about this, is that happiness is often a better indicator of economic development than GDP and quite a lot of your national accounts estimates. And so that would then also mean is, is that ha this happiness is a good proxy for economic development. And economic development, once again, is a good proxy for people becoming financially included um, there more, more being more uh, products available, financial products available, more ways for people to access the financial products, etc. So eventually, it makes a lot of sense. But you would never thought of actually looking for that relationship. Wow! So it's really, um, I think, it brings out new levels of insight, um, and I think also it mitigates some bias if you, you're looking for a specific trend or answer from the data in traditional methods. Um, this kind of takes that off the table and can show you something completely different. And I think the examples you mentioned about happiness and financial inclusion, I think that, that those are the types of insight, ins, uh, insights we really need. Yeah. Well, um, 
then I think for, for our listeners that are interested in, in big data and data science, um, what are some of the opportunities? What, you, what would you recommend? How can someone get started in this area, maybe just as a beginner out of hobby interest and then uh, perhaps someone that wants to move into that as a career? Well, I think a very good start is, is, is by accessing Google Trends on your computer, on just on your web browser. Um, because what has happened is, is that Google has decided to um, allow um, the public as a whole to get access to their big data platforms. And uh, what's incredible on Google Trends is that you can basically put in any search term that were found on Google. And, and this is a search term when people access their online banking or under going to an online store or Facebook or whatever. Um, you can also then um, break it down by country. You can just say South Africa or the U United States or whatever, etc. You can indicate the frequency, the period, the whole lot. And Google Trends actually give you a, a, an overview of the power of big data. And you can do your own big data analyses and keep on tracking your own things. So I think Google Trends for me is a very, very good way um, actually to um, start. Then. Uh, just on um, the platforms that I think a lot of us um, are basically using um, Microsoft's Outlook 365. And as part of Outlook 365, um, um, there is Microsoft Azure as well as Microsoft uh, uh, Microsoft's Power BI. Power BI um, has had a long development history and for all um, of your listeners that really wants to get involved just in the basics of um, of big data science. Um, Power BI is the tool, and, and it's a very simple tool. You don't need to be able to program whatever um, to require that. And Power BI has also got a facility in which you can draw external databases or and, you, and just by link that you can draw it in. So I would say that that's a very good way um, to actually um, get started on that. Um, then um, also just in, in terms of a book to access this, um, a lot of books and also free books um, on Amazon Kindle dealing with big data that um, people can download. And there's also one that deals specifically, which is the groundbreaking of, of why people lie. And um, I would strongly encourage for people to get those books and um, download it for free and basically just start working through um, what big data is. So for me, um, Outlook 365 together um, with um, Amazon Kindle's books on uh, big data and then Google Trends as something to get started on and um, do some of your own analysis. Uh, I think that's a very good way to get started in big data. Awesome. And, and Colin, you've mentioned the Kindle books. Um, are there any other specific books that you can mention at this time? Well, um, there's, there's a, a whole variety of um, books that I think um, could possibly work. So, so it's, it's, it's very difficult to, to um, focus on uh, just a few books. Um, mm. number, the, the, the first one that I will definitely go for is this one of um, why people lie because I think mm -hmm. that for me is really a very good description of um, what, what what big data is 
And then there's also on, on, on the web, you would, for example, find that there's um, a, a lot of books on um, big data that could easily be um, accessed just by typing in, for example, big data PDF. And, um, and one of the biggest ones um, that I want to um, recommend in, in this regard is a book by Stanford University that's on the web. Um, it's called um, Overview of Big Data, Tools, Techniques, Discoveries, and Pitfalls. And um, it's actually in, uh, the book is actually in the form of a presentation, but um, um, it is so simplistic the way that it actually sets out, um, for example, what big data is all about and how to um, deal with, with, with big data. Then just uh, um, one of the books on big data that uh, um, I really um, enjoyed was one that was um, actually brought out by um, Toshiba. And, um, uh, um, and um, uh, what they've got, Toshiba developed its own uh, distributed database. Um, and it also um, um, created a big data grid. Um, together with um, a book that they've got online to Shiva in actually how to um, analyze some of, 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 of the data that, that they've got, etc. So I would also recommend that as a very um, good way to start. But, but at the moment, it's all over the web, uh, um, literally millions of PDF books that's available and big data sets, etc. Just then on, on data itself, there's a website called Data Science Central. Data Science Central, literally thousands upon thousands of databases that's in the public domain, etc., which could be very um, well analyzed, for example, with Power BI. Um, as described, for example, Power BI that's got this grabbers to these various databases. So, Carl, thank you. That's really helpful. I think it's not a problem of finding resources. It's uh, more a matter of managing your time to make use of all of these fantastic resources and data out there. Yeah, um, yeah and, and I just want to say thank you again. It's been really insightful. I, I loved all the practical examples that you can give. You gave. Um, you can. I can see that you're really um, doing some great work. And I think um, one episode wasn't enough. Um, and I'm sure we can keep talking uh, for quite some time. And I'd like to invite you back in the future. I think we must definitely follow up on this um, and look at some more uh, specific topics because I, um, I really think you have a lot of uh, good knowledge to share. But thank you so much. It, has, it was great having you on the show. Thank you so much, Rick. I, I, I truly enjoyed it as well. And it's wonderful for me that people have got a real interest in big data. And as we've also discussed, discussed before, this is that um, when you look at behavioral economics, um, big data is directly linked to that. So um, the, the two of them actually go together and, and behavioral economics is becoming much stronger and stronger today. Definitely. Yeah, it's that example we, we talked about when people answer surveys. Um, for example, if, if, if you're measuring willingness to pay and then what is the willingness to pay in reality? So it's very interesting stuff. Um, and, and yeah, thanks again. I'm definitely going to chat to you again. Fantastic. Thank you so much. That's a wrap for this episode on Big Data. Thank you for listening. Please keep an eye out for upcoming episodes. Whilst we are all rightly concerned by the current COVID-19 situation, I thought it good to give some parting thoughts. It's important to remember that pandemics like this 
have and can be overcome. We may want to control the seemingly unknown situation, however, it's better to focus on those things which we can control as opposed to those that we cannot. Our perceptions, mindset and attitude are prime examples of the things that we can control. Being calm and focused gives you a better foundation to make rational and fact-based decisions, which is even more crucial in this time of heightened uncertainty. Please take care and be safe.